Hey, this is Pat Flynn from Fiddlehead, and you're listening to The New Scene. everybody and welcome to the new scene. I am your host Keith and we're back with another brand new episode. And in the guest host chair, we've got Vadim Taver back on the show. Vadim, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Keith. You know what, Vadim? You are welcome. And it's great to have you back here. Your self-titled solo record has been released into the world. It's taking the world by storm and you must be pretty excited about it. Yes? I'm very excited about it. Listen, everybody out there, I don't know if you've heard it yet. You need to. It's on all streaming services. It's out there. Vadim Tabor, self-titled solo record. And we're going to dig into that. I'm going to ask Vadim when he conceived it, how it started, who recorded it. I know the answer to some of these questions already, but you have to know too. We're going to get there. So we've got an exciting show. We're going to talk to Vadim. And I've also spoken to Aaron Dalbeck of Bain and Be Well. And let me tell you something. It's a great interview. We cover it all. Bain, the recent reunion, that's exciting news. Be Well, Be Well is killing it. There's some Converge talk in there as well. You've heard it, Vadim, right? Hmm? Tell the people how great it is. Well, I don't want to ruin the interview before it happens, Keith. I'm just digging for reassurance here. That's all. That's what I'm doing. Oh, it was a wonderful interview, Keith. Oh, thank you. You shouldn't have. Okay. but Well, listen, that interview is coming up shortly, so strap in. But first, here's how you can support the new scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Shirts. We have shirts available at Death Wish Inc. We've got t-shirts. We've got a long sleeve. Pick one up. It's a great way to support the show. And reviews. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit that five-star button. And did you know that you can write a review on Apple Podcasts? That's right. So if you leave a nice review, I'll read it on the air. And Vadim, we have a new review. Are you ready for this? Hit me with it, Keith. All right, here we go. Five stars from Jared Birdseye. Great podcast. I am a new listener as of this week, and I've been burning through the back catalog of episodes every day since. Keith is a great host and interviewer. I'm loving all of the guest hosts and guests. There's tons of great insight as well as interesting and inspiring stories, especially as someone from the Philly area. I love hearing the regional stories. Thanks, Keith. And Jared, thank you. That was a very nice review. Did you hear that, Vadim? Everybody got praise. Me as a host and interviewer, you as an interesting guest host. We, we're just killing it. We are. That was very nice. Yeah. Thank you, Jared. That was very nice. So yeah, leave a review. It really helps out, you know, hitting the five-star button, leaving a review. That's all great stuff. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. Jerome's Dream, The Gray in Between is out now, and it's fantastic. Order your copy today. There's great merch to go along with it. Iodine on Rotation, the latest playlist from Iodine Recordings is up on Spotify. Give that a listen. And remember, the second pressing of Slip by Quicksand is out there now. Pre-order that. 
There Were Wires, the deluxe edition of the self-titled record. That's out there for pre-order. There's a lot of great stuff out there, so get on it soon. Sign up for the iodine email list. You'll find out about everything first. For more information, head to the iodine Instagram at iodine recordings or the iodine website at iodinerecordings.com. And don't forget to support this month's sponsor, Death Wish Inc. That's right, Death Wish Inc. And there's a lot going on over at Death Wish. Converge Jane Live is available now for pre-order. This is a live recording of Converge performing Jane Doe in full at Roadburn Fest. The set was mixed by Converge guitarist Kurt Ballou at God City Studio and mastered by Brad Boatwright at Audio Siege. Gotta get that. Jane Doe, classic and live? Forget about it. Frail Body, A Brief Memorial, is available again on vinyl with accompanying merch. The Death Wish exclusive vinyl of Boris and Uniform's collaboration album, Bright New Disease, is available now for pre-order at the Death Wish website. Boris and Uniform, come on, it doesn't get any better than that. The latest record from Loma Pietra, Last, is available now for pre-order. There's still a few variants left, so get yours before they're gone. For more information, head to the Deathwish Instagram at Deathwish Inc. or head to the Deathwish website at deathwishinc.com. Okay. So, Vadim, let's talk music. I want to know what you're listening to because I know you're always listening to a lot of music and a lot of different kinds of music. So hit us with it. Some of the things I've been listening to, I really like the new Shayna Cleveland record. She is the lead singer of a band called La Luz, um, like a psych rock um, type band. Um, there's an uh, artist from the Netherlands named Robin Kester. She's like a female singer-songwriter, kind of like dark folk, like indie type stuff. And I love the new Spotlights album. That's something you might know. Um, your former, uh, guest, Chris Enriquez plays drums in that band. Uh, they're currently on tour with Mr. Bungle and the Melvins. Um, that record is phenomenal. Did you know, Vadim, that I'm doing a little run in the Southeast with them? Darling Fire? I did not, but that's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to be on the road with Spotlights. I can't wait. Awesome band. Fly me out to uh, sell merch for you. I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, the new Tanuki Chan is great. I, I got our friend Mike uh, Shaw into that one. Um, yeah, lots of lots of good stuff this year. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Here's a recommendation for you all. I'm sure you've heard it by now, but listen, Judiciary, Flesh and Blood. If you're into metal-infused hardcore, this is your thing. Who knows, Vadim? They might be coming on the show soon. They might be. Anything's possible. <laughs> he just got silence <laughs> i was waiting for you to like to be like hmm, maybe or, or something but uh, i was actually trying to remember the name of the band and it like went in one ear and out the other judiciary everybody. judiciary there <laughs> judiciary you can, great stuff you can cut that part out i'm just gonna leave it in just as it is because it's funny <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right listen check back in with me and vadim in segment three we're going to talk to Vadim all about his new solo record. I'm going to read some email from the listeners. We're going to talk about how we're doing. We're going to cover everything. But right now, we are going to speak to Aaron Dalbeck of Bane and Be Well. 
Enjoy. We are here now with Aaron Dalbeck. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yes, Aaron, it's great to have you here. I mean, look at everything you've done. Converge, Bane, Only Crime, Be Well. You know, you've done a lot, and we're going to talk about most of that. But first, Aaron, I want to ask you, how are you doing today? Today's a pretty good day. Today's a pretty good day. I'm, uh couple more days of work and then I head to Europe for a week. So that's always a good thing to look forward to. What's that, a Be Well tour? Yeah, we're going over there for a week of shows. And, uh, by the time this is up, it'll be over. But we're heading over there for a week of shows with us headlining. So it should be a good time. Who's on that tour? It's us headlining um, this band, uh, Hard Strike from Germany. And then um, there's a couple other bands that are 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 on different shows honestly like uh, unfortunately i don't remember who it is um but hard strike is on a lot of it from germany that's okay by the time this podcast episode goes up those supporting bands will be huge and uh they they won't need our mention anymore exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> have you be well has done some touring in europe already right correct yeah we went over with um hot water music and boy sits fire we were supposed to it was supposed to actually be in 2020, when the when we were originally supposed to go, we were supposed to go over there right after our first LP came out, and then COVID messed everything up, and it just kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. So we did that this past fall, and then this will be our first like headlining thing going over there in the next week. So it'll be good good to get over there by ourselves. That's awesome, yeah. And that Hot Water Music Boy Sets Fire tour must have been great too, right? Like Boy Sets Fire is massive in Europe. Both those bands are massive in Europe. It's 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 mind blowing. Like you know, like three to four thousand people every single night. Crazy. It's yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> How was the reception to be well over there? It was good. It was a good time. It was uh, it was nice because we went on like. I mean, a lot of those big tours, the first band goes like right when doors open, but we'd always go on like an hour after doors and everybody was there. It was packed. People were super excited about it. So it was definitely overall was a great experience. I love it. Yeah. Be Well is a very exciting band. I love everything you've put out so far. Thank you. Were you at um, Furnace Fest this past year? Uh, we Yeah. we Well, I didn't stay for the whole thing. We played on that, that pre-show. 
And then yes. I had to come back home. I had to work the next day. So I had to fly back like at 6 a.m. the next morning. Yeah, I think I caught you at the first Furnace Fest that yeah. happened in what, whatever year it was. And then last year, yeah, you played the pre-show. But Brian McTernan was like the toast of the town at uh, <laughs> last year's Furnace Fest. So many bands <laughs> mentioned him. And it's not surprising because he's recorded everybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how I met him. Well, rewind. That's not really how I met him, but that's how I get to really, really know him was him. He recorded most of the Bane stuff. So, but I, um, yeah, he's done some really great records. Really, really great records. Like all of my favorite records. (laughs) Yeah, he was definitely the go-to for a long time. I mean, he went through phases. I think there would have been a lot more on that list too, but you know, it's like anything. You can get burnt out on it and you need a break. So, I mean... I feel like if you wouldn't have taken a break so many times, it probably would have been an even longer list on the records that you're like, oh, I love this record. And he'd be like, oh, Brian did that. He just, (laughs) he's a great, great musician, great producer, everything. He gets the best out of everybody, which is great. Oh, yeah, 100%. Where are you living these days? Uh, Right now, I'm living in southeast Pennsylvania, a little, little, little town called Marietta. It's a, Right between Lancaster and York, PA. So I'm like an hour north of Baltimore, an hour and a half west of Philly. How did you end up there? Uh, my now ex-wife was, um, she's a home birth midwife. In 2019, we moved, we moved to Maryland for a year for her for an internship. And then one of my really good friends who had a hand in the Bain documentary, uh, David Bezal, he lives up here in Lancaster and he is chatting and seemed like a good landing spot. So at the time she was trying to start a practice. So we just moved up here and it's, I honestly would never have picked to live here. Like I would never be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to move to Southeast Pennsylvania. That's going to be great. <laughs> but I love it. Exactly. I really, I mean, I, I, there's things I miss about Massachusetts back home, but I mean, I like it here a lot. So. Yeah. I grew up in, I don't wait, is it Southeast Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is, Right across the river from Trenton and just south of, wait, just north of Philadelphia. Yeah, that's probably like two hours from here. Okay. Like I live, I mean, literally like Brian lives in Baltimore and it's in, like he lives in North, North, you wouldn't think it's Baltimore by looking at it, but it's North side of Baltimore and it's like a, an hour door to door. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. That's good. But I mean, luckily that's how... I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but like if I wouldn't have moved to Maryland, I don't think I would have ever been a be well. Yeah, because you know, you uh Bean had ended, yeah. right? There was one reunion gig, and then I think Be Well got together around the, the end of 2019, right? Like uh Brian said he was going to Europe with battery, I think, and you just threw it out there that you wanted to go or be a part of it or something like that because you hadn't been playing. Yep, yep. Bane didn't do anything till after way after Be Well started. I hadn't been playing and I didn't really realize what I was missing getting everything out. You know what I mean? Like I had started, I started touring the year I graduated high school in 1992. Wow. And literally I toured nonstop from then till 2016. And then it finally, you know, when I took some time off, it didn't, at first I was like, this is great having time home, not doing stuff and you know, well, everything. And then, I I was never a person that really dealt with depression or anything, but then like once Bane was over, things kind of like became reality and things kind of sunk on sunk in a little bit. And then uh, that's when I saw the Brian thing about them going to Europe. I was like, "Hey, bring me with you." <laughs> <laughs> How was it? I mean, 
high school, end of high school until 2016. That's like, what year did you graduate high school? 92. So not, that's all right. Let's do some math here. 2002, 2012. That's like over 20 years. 25 of, years, essentially. Yeah. 25 years of touring. Yeah. And then it's over. Now here, let you tell me, I want to ask about your experience once this was done. I'm going to, I'm going to guess here for fun. And then you tell me how close I am. There, there was probably like a week, maybe two weeks of fun. Like I can do whatever I want. I can go out to a store, a coffee shop. I can sit around all day. I don't have to worry about some upcoming eight months of touring. This is awesome. And then maybe around week three, uh, depression starts to settle in. Like you're wondering what you're going to do. Uh, a little bit. I mean, that's definitely um, the timeline is a little different. I would say it was probably more like six months. Mm-hmm. Like a little bit of backstory. I I had my son was born about two weeks before I turned forty, and he was born in two thousand and fourteen. So it was like we were already ending the band while he was born. So you know when the band was done, I was excited because I get to spend as much time as I could with him. You know what I mean? So the beginning of that was pretty great. I get to spend some time with him. You know, I was super busy. And then I would say like six months to a year and I was like, oh, wait, there is no other tour coming up. And it was like, all right. And it wasn't so bad. And then like about a year and a half into it, it was pretty rough. What kind of things were you dealing with? Uh, just the reality of like, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an eye-opening, an, an eye-opening experience when you realize that like, all right, I'm doing this because I love it. Like, I'm not just saying it, but like, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't making music at some point anymore. Like it's, it's just like this, it's therapeutic and it's like where I get all your, your energy out and all your feelings out. Um, but it finally hit me that I was just like, you know, this is not going to happen anymore. Like I always, I always talked to a lot of people saying I was going to do things and we we're going to do this project or that project. And it's hard, it's hard to do, you know? Um, and I mean, I had a good job. I like stopped touring and a good job right after that, but it just wasn't, it's not the same. I mean, I'm still working that same job, but it's just not the same, you know, but it's a, like, it, it, it was a hard reality. Cause I literally, since I started touring, there was never a time when I, I didn't go on the road after six months, six, like six, I don't even know if three months is the most I had been home at one point. I mean, when Bane was touring from, I would say from like 2000, well, I even be, I, I feel like Beam was touring even in like 2000, 2001. 1998 was our first tour. But I was touring with Converge before that. We didn't tour consistently. But, you know, it ended up being in two, when I left in 2001, when I left Converge, it was because Bane was getting busy and it was like just, you know, they wanted to go do more. So it was like, I mean, I was touring. I don't think I was on the road for less than eight months from like 99 to 2016. And it's, a, you know, it's a big adjustment, <laughs> you know, like all of a sudden you're not doing anything and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Where is this? Where's this outlet that I need? You know? Yeah. I mean, I've never had such a rigorous tour schedule as you. I've been on a couple tours with friends bands. That's one thing. But I've done the thing where all you do is work and there's no music and there's no creative outlet and there's no project and there's nothing on the horizon. Yeah. You just work and you go home and you hang out. Yeah. And it's it's a bad feeling. Yeah. Because it, you, now I have creative pursuits again and I can't imagine my life without them, but I've done 
the just working thing for a long time with you know nothing on the horizon and it's a, it's it's not a good feeling there was a good honestly probably 3 years if not more where i literally didn't even touch my guitars i recently took one of my guitars out and i was like it was still just like gross from the last show that we one of the last shows we played <laughs> and i was like oh my god i haven't touched this thing in like you know almost 7 years like it's weird but you know luckily with be well that definitely changed that a lot you know it helped me uh it was a learning it's a, it still is a learning curve since i play bass in be well but <laughs> it's it's still an outlet and it's great you know between bane and be well did you think that was it forever i tend to think Whenever I always think every band is going to be the last band I'm ever in and there'll never be anything else because I'm like, I don't know any other musicians. How's it going to happen again? And it always happens. Like where, where, what was your feeling with the whole thing? I didn't know. Like I talked to, like I'm really good friends with uh, Chad from Boy Sits Fire. And mm-hmm. when I lived in Maryland, I lived about 15 minutes from him and him and I have known each other since 1994. Converge and Boy Sits Fire did a tour, I think, in 94, 95. And we've been good friends ever since then. And him and I were like, we should start a band. We should do something. You know, this is before Be Well started. And it just never happened. Both of us were crazy busy. It just didn't happen. Like, my wife, my wife at the time was gone. So I was at home with my son the whole time, you know? So uh, I think, I, you know, honestly, I hoped that it wasn't the last thing. When Bane, when Bane ended, but I kind of, I knew I'd have to do something eventually, but obviously you never know when that's going to come, you know, like only crime is still actually a band. We just haven't really? done anything since 2014. <laughs> oh, like we're still a band, but like, it's funny. Cause when everybody else was not busy, Bane was super busy. And then literally once Bane ended, everybody else in only crime got super busy. <laughs> So it's just like, you know, so tech, I mean, we saw our, we talk every six months or so we'll get texts going. We're like, all right, let's get together and write some music, blah, blah, blah. And it just, it just doesn't happen, but I'm sure it will eventually. Um, yeah. But I figured something would happen. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, this is probably going to sound kind of, I've been, I've been extremely, extremely lucky. Like you said, like, you know, you never know what's going to come up blah, blah, blah. but like, I, I've been fortunate enough to be in you know, four bands that have been able to do a lot of stuff. And I'm yes so insanely grateful for it that I was kind of like, all right, something else has got to come up. But then part of me was also like, all right, I've been really lucky. Maybe I've hit my allotment of, <laughs> of like <laughs> music to do or something. I don't know. I don't know. It probably sounds weird, but I just, but yeah, I had no idea that anything was going to happen after Bane ended, to be honest. So only crime is technically not broken up. We're just very busy for uh, nine years. Yes. I actually had Russ on the show before and we were talking about only crime. He he seemed to not like music described in genres. Now, in, in your experience with him in only crime, did, does he hate discussing music genres? He's kind of like that. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like I kind of in a weird way, only crime and and him i guess like his view of only crime and kind of bane is kind of the same like we just played and if we all liked it awesome like we didn't want to classify it as something you know what i mean yeah i actually agree with that but in terms of the podcast i do describe music in genres so like 
people that like certain things, maybe they'll yeah. gravitate towards it. But I was like, oh, only crime is like more of a kind of a more of a melodic hardcore thing instead of straightforward punk, like good riddance. He's like, see again, it's I don't understand what you're talking about. It's just all punk to me. And I was like, yeah. well, I guess the like the hyper classification of genres is just a it's like a newer thing. Yeah, like I'm kind of the same way. Like uh, I mean, to be completely honest, like to me, something's like just like punk and hardcore and that's it. Like there's yeah. all these like weird sub genres that I'm like, no, it's a hardcore band or like, you know, it's a punk band. But even like me growing up, like it was kind of the same thing, you know, punk and hardcore was the same thing. It wasn't like, and then that was it. There was no like metalcore or like whatever, you know, it was just one thing. Yeah. I, I don't like to get hung up on the genres because I don't know if I show someone a band and they're like, oh, what genre? Like, what is, the? I'm like, I don't know. It's just good. Listen to it. And the genres change. Like, I got into all this stuff around 98. Yeah. And at that time, Converge had uh, Where Forever Comes Crashing out. Yeah. And to me, it was just all hardcore. But all the hardcore purists were like, no, this isn't hardcore. It's metal. So Converge at that time is what I think of as metalcore. But that's not even metalcore anymore. When I think of metalcore in 2023, it's like that ultra polished, slightly genty, like, you know, really chuggy stuff. Yeah. To me, I mean, this is probably sound really cliche, but it has nothing to do with the sound. <laughs> like, I could be, you could be in a punk band and have it sound like Ornette Coleman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like the attitude and like the, the feeling really, I guess, you know? No, that's a good point. Yeah, the attitude, because there's bands I consider punk who, you know, the music might not necessarily be punk, but it, it's the attitude sells it. Yeah. It makes sense. All right, so be well. So I moved to Maryland in end of the winter of 2019. Mm -hmm. It's February or March, I think. And then that summer of 2019, be well. I mean, a battery goes to Europe. And that's when it's like, like I was going to therapy. I was going to see a therapist before we moved to Maryland. And I was like the thick of the depression. And uh, the summer of 2019, that's when battery went to Europe. And I was like, bring me with you. Like literally, I think I just like, commented on it on one of their posts or something like that and then mike actually mike schleibaum was like hey brian and i are doing this new band check it out and let me know what you think brian will send you the, the tracks or something like that and then they came back from europe and i was like i love it and brian's like all right you want to play bass and i was like uh sure and i was like shit i need to find a bass somewhere <laughs> Like last time I played, I mean, I played bass randomly at like filled in for a band or two, but last time I played bass was like the Bane demo in 1995. So it was a long time. So how was the transition to playing bass? Now, as when I, I've played guitar in bands and I've played bass in bands and as a bass player in a band, I am ultra determined to not play the bass like a guitar because I've been in the situation where I'm the primary songwriter and I'm to the bass player. I'm like, Hey, just play root notes that are cool. That matches what I'm doing. And they're trying their best to be less Claypool. And that really angers me. So when I play bass, you know, I'm, I'm solid. I'll do nice little fills and everything, but I'm playing bass, not guitar on bass. What's your approach? Um, not guitar on bass, but Brian comes up with a lot of really cool melodies for the bass for a lot of things. So it's, it's, it's not that it's definitely a huge learning curve for sure, but I feel like it's not necessarily like somebody trying to play guitar on the bass, you know, 
like to be honest, I feel like some of the bass stuff and some of the B-Well songs are way more intricate than the guitar stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So Brian actually comes up with bass riffs. He'll come up. Brian, I mean, Brian will come up with, he'll just have ideas. And he's like, Brian is a machine. He'll just, he's always writing, always writing. Like he has a really cool, like thought process. He's like, I I forget who he said, told him, but it, and it's totally true. Like the brain and writing is like a muscle. Like if you don't play and write consistently, then you, it's going to be really hard for you to write stuff. But if you're just writing and you play play guitar or bass every day or every other day, and you're just like kind of just like doing whatever, you'll just – it's like a muscle that you just work and it becomes easier to write. It's crazy how fast it happens too because I hadn't touched a bass in years, and now I'm playing bass a lot and guitar also a lot. And it just how quickly you pick things up and how quickly you can figure things out, it's, it's amazing how – how fast it comes back. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Do you miss playing guitar, though? Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, that's what I started. I mean, I, I'm definitely a guitar player that plays bass right now. But like, I'll play, I'll pick up the guitar now a lot more. And I'm just like, oh, I miss this. You know, and it's and, and funny. It just seems easier to play now because the bass is so big and the strings are so thick. They right. pick up the guitar. And I was like, oh, this is so easy. Like, I could play this <laughs> insane chord and it's simple because the frets are so small (laughs) like i definitely miss it though yeah bass is a lot of fun but you know guitar is guitar yeah it's it's totally different do you ever write any riffs for be well uh not really um i always like i've talked about it and and we've all talked about it but like i said brian is like a machine with writing and it's like like when we finished doing when we finished recording weight and the cost I was like, I'm going to start trying to write some stuff for the new thing. Brian's like, awesome. That'd be great. And then next thing you know, he's like, oh, I have, you know, he had like 10 songs or something like that. Like, <laughs> I got these 10 songs. I've already kind of like, like get some stuff together. What do you guys think? Do you know, we start sending it around to each other. So it's, I mean, I would love to, but it's just like, it's almost like by the time I get anything started, he's got a dozen songs ready. Eventually, in the Venn diagram of writing, like Brian will run out or he'll be busy with something and then you can sneak a couple. Exactly. Exactly. It's going to happen. I hope. (laughs) Writing on bass is so different too. Like, like I'll come up with some stuff on the bass. I'm like, oh, I would have never thought of doing this on the guitar and then write a guitar thing over that, you know? I forget that Brian plays too, because what what was the, he's been on the show too. He was in- um, He was in Milltown. He was in- Yeah. Forgive, forget. He was in that band for a little bit. They just I Ashes, mean, right? Yeah, he played. That's how I met Brian was when he was in Ashes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Plus, like, you know, he's recorded every band ever, and oh, yeah. I'm sure, and he's producing as well. So the amount of knowledge he must have gained during that whole experience is just like immeasurable. Yeah, I can't even imagine because it's like recording with him. Like I tell, I talk to people about it, and I'm like, re- between recording with. Brian and recording at the blasting room, I felt like every time I recorded with any either one of those places, I like progressed in playing and everything. So I can't even imagine if you're like the person producing the record, the amount of just like knowledge you absorb and just gain from all of that stuff. Exactly. Like being at the helm of all that. It's a uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. You grew up in Marlborough, Massachusetts, correct? Yep. Is that Merrimack Valley? 
No. Okay. I was I was going to ask if you were a Merrimack Valley alumni because so many people and so many bands have come from that area. I would know, but I think maybe by default I sort of was in a weird way. Like I grew up in Marlboro, but I when I started playing with Converge it was like end of 93, beginning of 94, and they were all from Merrimack Valley. So literally from almost every day from like 94 till whenever they, whenever we, Damon left the band. I don't remember when that was, but I would go up there like four nights a week or five nights a week. I'd get off of my work. I'd take a nap and then I'd drive up there for practice, then come home and we'd just hang out. How far was it? It's like a 45 minute drive. Oh, okay. I think Damon left in ninety late ninety eight ninety nine because I remember Poacher Diaries came out in ninety nine and he wasn't on that. No, that was John DiGiorgio. That was the one and only thing that John was on. But yeah, that was in ninety nine. So Damon must have left in like end of ninety seven, beginning of ninety eight. That ninety nine converge. I think it was ninety nine converge tour of the Northeast. That was my favorite set of converge shows I ever saw because it was every era of the band, including. Poacher Diaries, one of my favorite releases. And it was, you know, it was just everything you could ask for. And that drummer was insane. Yeah. Like, I remember when he joined the band and everyone, we were just watching. I'm like, oh my God, this guy is amazing. Yeah. He's awesome. He's awesome. Yeah. How did you discover like all this music? What kind of shows were you going to when you were young? So there used to be a, a place in Worcester called the Worcester Artist Group or WAG as everybody called it. And my cousin, he's like six months older than me, actually. He's the one who really, he was getting into, he was living in Worcester at the time and he was getting to like, we were both listening to like metal and stuff, but he was getting more into punk rock and hardcore and stuff a little bit more of the metal side. But um, that venue used to have shows literally almost every night of the week. And every Friday and Saturday, I would just start going to the shows there. Like you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even know who was playing. You would just go because it was a show. And it was like, a mix of everything like it like name any bands from like you know the late 80s to mid 90s and they played there i saw fugazi played there i saw the Boston's and like biohazard on one show but this is like probably that was probably in like 91 or 92 maybe like i mean it was it was great you wouldn't even know who was playing you just go yeah, our, our scene was like that too. If someone we knew was putting on a show, we would just go. Yeah, yeah. But that's how I got into it. Um, I got into metal from, <laughs> as I used to say a story all the time to friends, but like when I was probably eight, probably my son, my son's eight. So it was probably I was around eight. I found this old bootleg cassette of um, Masters of Reality from my dad from he had gotten when he was in Vietnam. <laughs> And like, I found that as a kid and I was like, just blown away. Like I used to play that tape all the time. And that's how I got into heavy music. I think just from that. Yeah. There was a real mystique around it. Like the bad kids I knew would listen to Black Sabbath and all these bands that you knew were like scary, but you didn't really know what they were all about. And there was this scary metal dude who lived on my block who would wear cannibal corpse shirts. And I didn't know what it was, but it just all seemed like scary, but cool. Yeah. And then I also grew up Trey that does Death Wish with Jake. Mm-hmm. Like I've known Trey since I was like five. Like we grew oh, up wow. together. He was in my brother's grade. My brother's like two years older than me. 
but he was friends with my brother. I became friends with Trey when we were really young. And then we kind of reconnected and I don't know, I was probably a freshman in high school, if not earlier skateboarding. Then we became really good friends and played music for a bit. And yeah, but really got into it between my cousin and, and reconnecting with, with Trey and stuff. So Bane starts around 1995, yes? Yep. So that starts in 95, but you're doing double duty in Bane and Converge at the... Well, actually, Converge was on a bit of a hiatus. So that's when you started putting a little more time into Bane around 95, correct? Right, because that's when Jeff, the the original bass player from Converge... Well, not the original, but the guy that was playing bass when I joined the band, he he went to Canada. He went to McGill College. And at the time, it's like, oh, that's so far away. There's no way we can keep the band going. So we actually, Converge actually broke up in 94. And Damon, the original drummer from Converge, the long guy, long hair guy, and I started writing for what became Bane in 90, this fall of 94 and beginning in 95. Did you have a preference in, in terms of what you like to play? Because Converge was, became much more metallic. And I was always into the crazier stuff like Converge, Cave-In, Colesque uh dillinger escape plan that's where i came in that that's the kind of stuff i liked bane was more of a traditional hardcore sound did you have a preference no not at all actually to be honest like uh i mean i listen to literally everything every like my if if, if you look like looked at my spotify stuff it's all over the place i listen to everything so it's yeah. like i never really wanted to have a specific sound to be honest especially with bane i didn't really have a preference no that's good. I wish I would have been more like that when I was young, because I, I got I would get really locked into specific bands and specific sounds, and anything that didn't fall into that criteria, it, it was no good. It was like I would listen to, like as a kid, I would listen to like Creator, then I would throw on uh, like The Exploited or something, and then listen to The Misfits or Dead Kennedys, and then listen to Motley Crue. It was like my taste is all over the place. It doesn't. I like everything. <laughs> so. Yeah. So Bane is moving along. Converge is moving along. There's a lot of big things happening in 99. It all comes down to this came out in 99, correct? Yep. Yep. Poacher Diaries, I think, came out in 99. Yep. And I, I discovered Bane, I think, around 1999, because we were all fans of Converge. And my friend is like, oh, they're doing this other band, Bane. Or I guess you were doing this yeah. other band, Bane. And then I, I listened to it at first, and I didn't listen to too many like more traditional sounding hardcore bands, but something happened, and I really liked it. And the, the live show is what really sold me. I think, oh yeah, I had Zach on the show, and he said like pretty much from the beginning, the live shows were just super energetic, everybody really into it, right? Yeah, yeah. We were very lucky. Like As a band, we've always that's always been the drive for Bane is playing. But we were really lucky from very the very beginning. People were really, really stoked on it. You know, like we were like a traditional hardcore band, but I feel like it wasn't traditional at the same time. Like we had our own like spin on it, you know? Yeah, it was it was like groovier. It wasn't just that really fast drum beat, like the kind of uh, better than a thousand sound, yeah. I guess. And that's why I don't like a lot of the more traditional hardcore bands, because now, no disrespect to anybody involved it. You know, it's before my time, and a lot of it just kind of sounds the same to me. Yeah. Oh, I get that for sure. I mean, it's yeah. understandable. So, like, Bane was different. It was slightly metallic, but not like metalcore, crunchy metallic. And the live show, of course, was a was a big selling point. Yeah, we all liked m- metal and stuff too. So it was just kind of like, all right, 
write a song and if we all like it cool that's a song <laughs> like yeah. no matter what that like you know and early on you wrote a modern hardcore classic can we start again yeah that was that honestly that was surprising to be completely honest it was a shock i remember really? sitting me and da- me and damon me and nick were sitting in the practice space when we were writing and we wrote it and we we're like i don't know we'll see what this sounds like you know and just like wrote it the music wise you know and it just kind of all it was very surprising, to be honest, <laughs> you know? Once you heard ver- vocals over it, did you think, oh, this could be something or this will be something? No, honestly, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, if anything, Bane is a very uh, humble bunch of guys. Like, we just, we just wanted, we wanted to play. And if something clicked, awesome. That was like a bonus, you know? Yeah. I was surprised when originally when I had Zach on the show, and I was doing additional research on Bean. I saw that you put out an album in 2005. Yeah. And then the the last album in 2014. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they must have broken up or there must have been some big hiatus. And, you know, Zach said, and I've heard you say, no, you just wrote very slowly. Yeah. Like we never, Bane never wrote to write, if that makes sense. We always wanted, so like I said earlier, like the fo- the focus for Bane was always playing. Like we always just wanted to play shows that we were literally on the road for eight months a year because of that. But we never wanted to be that band that is like, all right, we got to write a record and just sit down and write records just, just to write a record. Like, I feel like, you know, and like the music industry as a whole kind of, I mean, obviously everything's changing now, but as a whole, it used to be like, all right, you write a record, you tour for a year or two, and then you write a record, you tour for a year or two. And that was just like the cycle. And then there's bands that you're like, Oh wait, they put out this record too, or they put out this record. I never heard this record. And Bane is always was always the band that we, you know, very possible to the detriment of the band. Who knows? But we never wrote just because we felt like we had to write. We only wanted to write when we felt like we wanted to write. Like when we had that, like, all right, I, we really want to write a record, or we really feel like we're in the spot where we should be able to, we can write a record or something, you know. Yeah, so you never got tied into the like, okay, it's two years, we're in this quarter's album cycle, let us sit down and come up with the concept for this record, like none no, of that. None of that, none of that. So, but again, that might have been like, you know, like maybe that would have made things a little bit different for Bane, I don't know, who knows? I mean, it seems like you're still doing just fine to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> so you're doing, uh, I mean, you're touring from 2005 to 2014 that's a that all those years eight months on the road yeah well we also did those city eps too in 2000 and damn what year did that those come out 2009 maybe 2009 maybe we did those city eps the boston la we did like seven seven songs and a couple different labels put it out that was actually that that those are the only recordings that and two comp songs were the only songs that we ever did with Stu recording um our bass player that had passed that passed away a couple of years ago um those are the only ones that we actually recorded with him um but those came out in 2009 i think so we did the we did the note and then it was a long time then we did those city eps and then we did don't wait up i mean that's a long time for a band to be together and out on the road touring still was it ever did anyone ever have second thoughts or did, did you ever feel like you couldn't do it anymore? Most bands burn out after a couple of years, especially hardcore bands. I mean, yeah, no. 
Bain has been always, I mean, obviously like members of left, you know, like 2007 Pete left. Pete was in from the very beginning, the very beginning. I mean, Zach essentially was from the beginning, but like me, Bedard, Pete, and then Zach were like the original, you know, had been in for the whole time, essentially. So once Pete left, it was, I mean, Nick had already left the band, but Damon, like Damon was the original drummer. He left. Then Nick was in the band for a while. And then he left. Then when Pete left, it was kind of like, oh, shit. Like, what's going to, you know, that was like kind of a big blow. Um, but he definitely got sort of burnt out. But, you know, we had been doing it for so long. But some of us were just, I wouldn't necessarily we got, say we ever really got burnt out. I mean, there's times you get sick of being on the road, but not not burnt out. We, I mean, we've always had a great relationship with each other. I mean, I think we've always been unique in a way that, I mean, yeah, we get in arguments, we fight. But we never have, like, even when we broke up, it was never, nothing is, we broke up because we were like, all right, we need to step back. You know, some people wanted to tour full time. At that point, it got to, that at the end, it was like, you know, I was going to be having a kid. Stu had, Stu was leaving because he was having a second child. So it was just kind of like, we couldn't tour full time anymore, you know? And that's what we had done for two, for, you know, almost, 16 years is literally touring full time. Then all of a sudden we can't do it. So, but even then there was, we loved it, you know, like it just life was becoming life. <laughs> you know, we just couldn't do it as much as we could. Cause there's no, there's no, there's no retirement in punk rock. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> <laughs> there's no 401k. There's no 401k. And once you have kids, it kind of puts a little bit of it to perspective, you know? Yes. Yeah. We never, I mean, a lot of, uh, most of us didn't really ever get sick of it. And we just always loved playing and touring. In fact, when the last record came out, I mean, you saw an increase in interest from the band because you did a video for the first time. You've got this new record, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think some people were just like, wait, should we end it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that was a big thing. I mean, uh, but we hadn't written an LP. And we did those city EPs and that kind of like, I actually we played those for a friend the other day and I was like, oh man, I forgot about this song. And I, and I was like, I liked it a lot. I mean, I love all those songs, but um, we hadn't done an L, actual LP in almost 10 years. You know, like that's that's kind of crazy. So obviously kids are going to get a little sick of it, you know? Not sick yeah. of it, but just like want something new, you know? Exactly. We know, sadly, uh, Stu McGuire, your yeah. former bass player, passed. You were putting together a benefit show for him, right? He had cancer. It was, it wasn't a benefit show per se. Oh, it was, um, it was like his dream show that he wanted to be put together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like the last few months that he was around, he, re- he made a bucket list of the things he really wanted to do. And that was part of it. So he did, sadly, he did not make it to the show. And that's how, that's how Bane ended up playing, right? It was like a surprise reunion. It wasn't planned. You didn't even think you were going to play. No. Well, he asked us to play. He said he wanted to see us play one more time. Um, and we didn't announce. We weren't going to announce it because we didn't want. It was It was in Boston. We didn't want to announce it because we had, didn't want it to have anything to do with us. You know, it was all for, it was all for Stu and like that was it. So we didn't want to announce that we were playing or anything. And, uh, you know, unfortunately he passed before it happened and Lee, his wife asked if we, if we still wanted to play and we were like, of course, you know, if that's what he would have wanted, but 
I have a weird, like, I'm not religious or spiritual at all, <laughs> but I am fully, I fully believe that like he knew he wasn't going to be around, but he knew how much we missed it. And just really was like, he kind of had to give us that push to do it, you know? Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It, it is. It is. You know? Like, yeah. It sucks, but I, I don't know if, if, if. I'm jumping a little bit ahead probably, but like, I don't think like that whole time from 2020, like we, he got sick in September of 19, we found out and maybe a little bit later than that. I don't remember exactly. My time was messed up with COVID, but between that and like COVID, it just made you, it makes you really reevaluate a lot of stuff, you know, like that's. And when he asked us to do that, we were just like, of course, we'll do it. You know, like Zach called us all and was like, hey, Stu really wants us to play the show. And I was like, of course, we'll do it. Why wouldn't, how could we not do it? You know, but it, all that stuff really makes, makes you think and reevaluate a lot. I forget this until people tell me on this show, but it really takes a toll. Like, I, you know, you just think, oh, we were inside. Now we're not. But no, it takes a toll. Like my whole life changed. My whole perception has changed. And you put this, the weight of, uh, yeah, I mean, you didn't know what was going to happen at the time. And yeah. you put the weight of that and your friend uh, being sick on top of that. It's a lot to deal with. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So playing the actual show, it must have been just, I would be hoping he was there and I could feel it somehow. Like, what what was it like to play that gig? It was it was amazing. It was, I, I can't even, like, describe it, really. So it was cool because like, it's funny because we have an audio and video of some of it. And uh, like we went on right before Bouncing Souls and nobody knew that we were playing. And like right before we had we had set up his bass along his amp. And like there was like we had audio from the, the Bane documentary going and like all the people there were like chanting. They do that chant before the Bouncing Souls come out, like the soccer thing. People, it, I mean people did not know which is great and it was and it was just such a, like an amazing feeling and like his his whole family was there and it it was just it was i can't i can't even describe it it was it was it was great that's a great send-off i love that yeah yeah so we know now bane is back together yes <laughs> There was a, the announcement blew up the internet. Did you see all the memes and everybody like oh, yeah. posting le- oh, letters yeah. and everything? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Do you find any of that funny, or is it just like, all right, guys? No, it's funny. It's all <laughs> it's all good fun. The only thing that I get frustrated, <laughs> I'll just say this right now. The only thing I get frustrated with is when people are like Bane had their last show fifteen times. We never announced a last show or a last tour until we did. We would say, this is our last European tour. This is our last Japan tour. And people just don't read past final or last. It's like, that's the funniest thing about all of that. That was the only, the, the people I would say things out, I'd be like, these people don't even read. People don't see the full story. They heard that you weren't playing and that you did play once and then you weren't playing again. And then to them, oh, that's five last shows. They're dumb. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. It's insane. And you know what? Like the thing about it is nobody, when Bane ended, we didn't know how we were going to feel about everything. And as cliche as it sounds, you don't, you don't know what it's going to be like till you're done. 
And then why would you rob yourself of that joy, especially like after everything that we went through with COVID and Stu getting sick and passing away? Like, why would you rob yourself of something that you love doing? If in, in the grand scheme of things, somehow like Bane has, been, we've all been friends for 20 plus years at this point, almost 30 years. Right. And somehow with Stu getting sick, we all somehow, even Nick, like the old drummer that is, you know, we're still all great friends with, all of us are somehow even closer 30 years later. Like somehow that that and COVID and everything just brought us even closer. So it's like, why would we rob ourselves of doing something that we all love? Like, I just love playing with those guys. Like, I, I love playing with Be Well, and I would never give it up, never want to do anything else. But it's a different thing. You know what I mean? Like, Bane is like my baby. Like, this is like this thing that I started when I was, you know, very young. And I've been in it with all my, like, my best friends, my, essentially my whole life. So, like, why would I rob myself of that, you know? And I would never yeah. want to regret it one way or another. It would be silly to rob yourself of it because some chucklehead on the internet says, oh, didn't they play their last show? Yeah. Tell that to the people that are going to the Boston shows. I mean. It's, exactly. It's like, or or whatever shows. And we're not, like, it, we're not doing a whole lot. We're just kind of making things and doing things when we want to do it and making it special, you know? So how do conversations start that we're going to restart this thing? When? <laughs> um, some of us had conversations after Stu got sick and COVID started happening. What We thought it was going to be like, you know, a few more months and then COVID would be gone. COVID would be gone. Some of us kind of, like Bedard and I talked a lot about it. Him and I butted heads a little bit towards the end about the band and stuff, just because, you know, I was having a kid, so I couldn't be gone all the time. And rightfully so, Bedard just wanted to tour and stuff, and we couldn't come to an agreement, I guess you could say. But him and I really talked and hashed things out, and we were like, why why wouldn't we be doing it? You know, like, what good is it doing? So, I mean, we chatted a little bit right when COVID started, and then it kind of went down a little bit, and then... You know, once we like we practiced twice for that stew show in Boston and literally after the first we played two songs in a row. We hadn't practiced at all, played two songs and we looked around and like everybody was just sitting there with like tears in our eyes and being like, how is this so easy to like we hadn't played in five years and we just played these songs. We're like, how is this this easy and this? I don't know. And that just kind of really opened it up after that. And some people had reservations and I completely get it. And we would never have done it if not everybody was on board, you know, but I think we all just realize that our lives aren't the same without it. So did you make a plan? Like we're going to post on Instagram on this day to let everyone know that things are happening again. Yeah, we knew like once we figured out the Boston show, we kind of had a a plan on on how we're going to kind of like quote unquote, roll it out, you know, like how, yeah. gonna, but I mean, obviously by the time we put the A up, I think the cat was kind of out of the bag, <laughs> but I think also, I think maybe people might've thought that it was like other things, like maybe like reissuing stuff or something. I don't know. Do you have to, uh, like, do you just book the show and then decide you're going to make the post or do you let a record label or anything? know? How does all that work? We did all of it. <laughs> we did all of it. So. 
So are labels reaching out now saying, hey, let's do another record or and that kind of stuff? No, I mean, probably by the time this is out, but um, hopefully it is. But we're reissuing, we're reissuing Give Blood on Vinyl for the first time since it's the, the we're calling it the 20th anniversary in Bane time because we're always late for everything. <laughs> so 2021 was the 20th anniversary of Give Blood. But pressing plants are backed up and obviously with Stu being sick and all that stuff that kind of, we kind of didn't really talk about it much or like put any thoughts into it, you know? Yeah. And you have to subtract a a year and a half of COVID. So we're fine. We're on target. Yeah. Yeah. So that's coming out. We have some other, not new stuff. I mean, who knows if we'll write new stuff? I don't know. Like I miss writing with all those guys as much as playing too, you know? Yeah. Um, So who knows? But we're literally just playing a few shows this year. That's it. Just making it special, you know? And if when things come up, they come up. So Yes, because we know Bane does not force themselves to write. It could be a decade before a new record comes out. We We don't know. AARP record. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Have you tooled around on the guitar at all and like played a new riff and been like, ooh, maybe that could be Bane? Yeah, I have. I have. Yeah. Uh uh-uh. See, all you got to do is bring that to practice and then it's all over. It's going to happen. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. The cool thing, it's funny because we talked about it and Zach was like, I don't want to be out of touch. I was like, we've all been, you know, most of us have still been playing since Bane broke up. So it's not like we're like decades out of it and clueless, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Zach has got Silent Drive. They just put out a new record. He's out with Turnstile all over the place. You're in Be Well. I mean, people are doing things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we'll see. We'll see where it takes us. Well, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited. And like, I mean, right now it's only, you know, one, two, three, four shows. And that's like plenty from, I mean, I'm just, we had a conversation and we all were on FaceTime talking and it's like, if we play, you know, even if we play three or four shows, that's more than we could ever ask for kind of that's a that's one of the benefits of covid is i think well for, let me speak for myself i'm more grateful for the opportunity to do things now because covid was really hard you know it was, it was everyone thought it was going to last like 2 weeks 2 months yeah and then there was a long period where we just thought music was never going to come back again and i i guess i'm still getting used to operating normally again but i'm i'm happy that we can, even though you can still go out and get the virus multiple times. Like, you yeah, know, you can you can go out and do stuff now, which is good. Yeah, yeah. I think the if if there's anything that good came out of COVID, <laughs> I think it's that people, not just music, but just art and in general, I guess people just appreciate it more. I think oh, they yeah. finally realize that, like, oh wait, this can be gone in the blink of an eye. Like I'm going to go and do something and I'm going to go and see this band or I'm going to go to see this museum or whatever it is. And actually like kind of like go back in time and like appreciate that shit more, you know? Yeah. COVID is a, I would say a pretty standard talking point on this show. And I've accepted that because number one, a lot of new music is happening because of COVID. Like a lot of these newer bands, they had time during COVID or they had downtime and they wrote a record or got started and are doing things and then shows started back up and now they're out there doing it. Or bands like yourself, you know, it, it brought p- 
people closer back together or reconnected them and now they're doing stuff. So those are two of the benefits of this whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So in addition to all of the bands, you're you're in the coffee business now too. Yes, yes. So when Essex Coffee Roasters. When um, Do you have a storefront? Not yet. So when Bain ended, like I was always I've, – I've been a coffee guy forever and that's what I would do on tour. I would go and find coffee and whatnot. So when I stopped touring after a few years, I decided to st- – I was roasting at home and then a couple of friends were pushing me to do it full-time. Not full-time, but like do it as a as a business. So when you when you're ro- like what does that mean to roast coffee? Does that just mean to make coffee? No, no, no. I get I order I get like green coffee beans from importers and then I have a giant roaster and I roast them so you can actually drink it. You're kidding me. No. No. You were doing this even before the coffee business? Yeah. I was doing like home roasting stuff like in a little machine and then um a couple of friends though, used to own a coffee shop in, in Salem where I was living at the time. And they kept, they were like, oh, if you roast enough, we'll just use you as a featured coffee for a little bit and see how it goes. And they had been a coffee shop for over 20 years. And after, within six months, they switched to just using mine. And that really just pushed me to do it. And then um, uh, I just have like online sales and all that stuff. I pretty much roast everything to order. Um, like I roast every couple of weeks. And then, um, yeah, I was going to s- try to do it full time last year. And then, I mean, in uh, 2020, but then COVID hit, obviously, and we moved to Pennsylvania yeah. and that kind of put a, a wrench in the works. But now my goal is to hopefully by the end of this year is to have a spot uh, to roast down here and have a little walk up cafe. That's my goal. We'll see. That would be good. And I have an idea, uh, a coffee shop that stays open past 4 p.m. Now, I know it would be bad business for the store, but look, I don't drink and sometimes I want to meet up later than four. So it would be, it would be convenient for me is what I'm saying. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's funny. Like I, it's cause I don't drink at all, but either, but like I can, I, I consistently compare specialty coffee to like craft beer when people ask about it. And I'm like, it's very much like craft beer. Like they can be 10 different breweries right next to each other and all their stuff tastes different. Same with coffee. Like you can have. Oh, yeah. So we'll see what happens. I, uh, it's something I love doing. I've worked at cafes a lot throughout my life. Roasting coffee is actually like more of my passion than running a cafe. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good idea. Like it's more of a roastery where people can walk up and buy stuff. Maybe that would be the best yeah. way. Yeah. A couple little seats or something if people want to stick around for a little bit, but have it more focused on just the roasting. So you don't drink. Have you always not drank? Pretty much. Yeah. It's just not for you. Yeah. I just, I have a very addictive personality and I know. If oh, I, so you knew ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a lot of people who have really bad problems and it kind of just like opened my eyes early, which is great. That's smart. See, I had a very bad problem for a long time yeah. and I saw myself sinking into that. And instead of stopping, I said, Let's keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And then 15 years later, I managed to stop. Uh, so that's good. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't, I, I'm definitely not one of those people that looks down on people, what they do or what they don't do. But as long as, like, I'm not saying if you're like doing heroin and you're happy, that's good. But I'm like, if you can be happy with yourself, 
obviously if you're doing like hard drugs and all that and drinking yourself to a stupor every night, you're not happy with yourself. But I yeah. just want everyone to be happy with self. Like if somebody just drinks every now and then and they can do that and just like be happy, it's fine with me. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, not one of those preachy guys that are like, you can't do this or that. Like, you know, if you can enjoy yourself and be happy, then awesome. Yeah, that's my thought. In fact, I say if you can drink and do hard drugs and be happy, you should. Because I did that for a long time. And I, well, I thought I was happy, but I wasn't. That's the thing. Most of the time people aren't when they think they are. Yeah, like I thought, I was like, oh, I'm fine. I have a job. Every, You know, I'm I'm employed. Everything's fine. But when I look back now, it was it was not fine. Yeah. So listen, do what works for you until it doesn't work anymore. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. That's the lesson we're taking away from all this. Just be happy and make sure everybody around you is happy with how you're treating them. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Don't be a dick. That's it. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Don't be a dick. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is exciting times. We've got some Bane gigs this year. We haven't had Bane in a while. That's good. We can go outside now. We might still get COVID, but that's fine. We have shows. We have music. Venues are open. That's good. We've got Be Well. Be Well is doing things, right? We uh, Be Well just put out an excellent EP, Hello Son. That was last year, right? Yep, last summer. Yeah, I really like that band a lot. I, uh, I've i had Brian on the show, and he talked a lot about what goes into it lyrically and just the things he's been through. But the music has a real effect on me. Like You really feel what he's going through and the, and the passion that yeah. you and the band put into it. It really comes across, which I love because that, you know, that it doesn't always happen to be with quote unquote heavier music. Like be well, isn't like too crazy in terms of like hardcore or metal or anything, but it's just, I love it. It, it's, it. it really hits me. Yeah. Yeah. I've been very lucky too. I say this a lot too, but like I feel very fortunate and very lucky to be, have been in like two bands where like the singers can be very open and honest and connect with people and it's not just some just some singer that just sings and doesn't have anything to say and you know they can uh, the majority of people can connect to bedard or brian and it's pretty it's pretty amazing to me yeah like i had friends that followed bane around on tour like the grateful dead you know (laughs) people love bane yeah we call them baniacs I love that. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about what we've got coming up. If we can, what what can we announce? B-Well's got a couple single shows coming up. They'll be over by the time this comes out. Bane is playing the two shows in Boston, June 17th and 18th. June 17th is sold out. Right now, June 18th is not sold out. It's a cool venue. I've actually never been to this venue. It's a new, bigger venue, but they're putting a stage in front of the stage. So there's no barrier or anything, which is pretty awesome. We are playing, if there's anybody here that listens to the, in the UK, we're playing Outbreak Fest in Manchester, I believe, the following weekend. We do have a lot of UK listeners, so make sure you go check out that gig, everybody. Yeah, Outbreak Fest and then uh, Furnace Fest in the end of September. And that is about it. And then Be Well... Was talking about going back to Europe for a week, possibly the end of September, beginning of October. We're not sure yet. Hopefully, maybe the end of the year, maybe start writing some more with Be Well and see what happens. Maybe write some Bane. Who knows? 
I think we're going to, I think Bane's going to enjoy just being around our friends and playing shows for a little bit and see, just see what happens. Yeah. It's going to be good to get back out there. I mean, you, you haven't toured since what? 2014. Yeah. Last show was last tour with 2016 is what ended. It's funny. Is it seven years to the day that we're playing the shows? You're kidding me. Nope. June 7th. Isn't it weird how those time things always work out and without even planning it? Yeah, it was crazy. It makes me think sometimes there's some mystical thing to, yeah. I don't know, the world or something. Yeah, yeah. Our friend Josh Smith, who books the venues there, he was just like, hey, I get these weekend, these, these dates open, I'll hold them for you. And it all just worked out. It's crazy. Amazing. Well, Aaron, I've been listening to you for a long time. You've created a lot of music that I like, that many people like, and you're still doing it. And uh, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. This was uh, this was great talking to you. Thank you so much. I just, I mean, honestly, I, it means almost more to us and me personally that like people enjoy the music that my bands have written, and it's it it, it we all take away from it maybe more than the people listen to it. Honestly, it's an amazing feeling and, and we never take it for granted. So it's amazing. And there you have it. Aaron Dalbeck. Amazing conversation. You know, as I was going through it, I remembered, like, it's crazy. I've spoken to so many of his bandmates at this point. Zach, Brian McTurnan. So as I'm talking to him, I'm remembering things Zach said and remembering things Brian said and, you know, all the Bane talk and the Be Well talk. And he's done a lot. The thing that stood out the most, I just like how positive he is, Vadim. You know, as I'm talking to him, he just said, I'm just really lucky. And... He is. Like, look at everything he's done. Converge, those early records, incredible. Bane, I mean, Bane is one of the biggest and best bands in hardcore. And Be Well, incredible as well. Yeah, uh, definitely lucky. I mean, some people are playing in bands for, you know, decades and never get recognized. And it seems like as a teenager, he was already being recognized with converge and then bane and then like you said with be well now and also um only crime uh even though they were short-lived i remember that was kind of a big deal when they first came out because it was like a i guess a super group of sorts interesting uh collection of people and i got to see them once at um that Hellfest, the one that got moved to or the one that was in new jersey when they when they started doing it in new jersey oh yeah yeah only crime is great too i that was another surprising thing he said they're they're not broken up they're just on a nine-year hiatus. Yeah, the thing that I found the the most interesting, which uh, I guess I could have put together myself, but I didn't. It didn't really dawn on me until the episode was that he got to be in a band with all of these, you know, people who, um, you know, have their own studios and are, are producers as well as engineers. So you know, with McTurnan doing like starting with the Converge stuff, and then you know, Kerpaloo also helped when he was in Converge recording and then with Bill Stevenson in Only Crime. It's like, man, how lucky is it to be in like 
bands that are good and then also to have guys in your band that are going to make sure that your band sounds great as well. You know, it's all done in-house so you know that they're going to make it as best as it could sound because they care so much about it since they're in the bands themselves. Wow, I didn't even think of that. Like three of the best producers in this scene as well. Yeah, crazy, right? Well, Baloo, I don't think he wasn't doing as much when um, when Dalbeck was in Converge, but I believe he did do some of the recording for, for Jane Doe. Uh, so yeah, I mean, pretty crazy, right? Like to, to be in a band with that many people. But I guess that's like a good strategy, Keith. So maybe something to think about in the future. If you're going to start a band, try to be in a band with somebody that knows what they're doing with recording and hopefully has their own studio. Yeah. Really nice guy too. I was talking to him a little bit after the interview and he was giving me some tips about bass playing, you know, because I was joining Darling Fire at that time and it hadn't been announced yet. So, and he's playing bass now and be well. So just super nice guy. I also liked how uh, he talked about how everything is late in Bane. Um, (laughs) And I I was like, oh, that reminds me of... uh... (laughs) some of the people that I was in bands with the, the the delay factor, as I'm sure you remember. Oh, we all know the delay factor. Yes. Yes. Mike, if you're listening, (laughs) shout out to you. (laughs) Well, to be fair, we called it the Shaw delay factor. So it was, it was a combo. He's on punk rock time all the time. Yeah. So Vadim, we need to talk about our favorite subject in the world. And that would be ourselves. Now, listen, since I have you here, I'm going to start with you because the people need to hear what's going on with you. You know what? Let's start Let's start with you personally first, Vadim. How are you doing? What's going on with you? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking, Keith. Um, you know, just, just same old. I'm just working. Uh, I'm, I'm still uh, teaching chess at a bunch of different schools and uh, still doing private tutoring and, and property managing, kind of, li- you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, that's kind of the California way nowadays for people to be able to get by here. And uh, yeah, until until recently, I was just basically preparing for my record to come out and just, you know, just getting everything ready, getting everything in order, uh, fixing all of the things online and getting all of the shipments ready and then doing the shipments. It's a lot of work um, because I'm doing it all by myself. Teaching chess must be fun, right? I like it. I I mean, I'm sure to some people it's not very fun, Um, but yeah. It sounds like a cool job though. I enjoy it. Yeah. I think it's unique and I've been doing it for a while. So the, the days kind of fly by. Also, I I don't have like a shortage of material that I can always um, work with on, on the daily. I don't really have to do much prepping anymore. A lot of teachers, they kind of have to prep throughout the week to, to figure out what they're going to do. And I kind of just do it on the fly now just because I have so many lessons to choose from and they're all digitized. So it's basically like, what do I want to do today? Oh, I just figure it out like a minute before the class begins. You're like, hmm, what am I going to do today? How about chess? (laughs) (laughs) Do you, did you ever watch the wire? I did. Yeah. Do, do you ever show them the chess scene from season one? No, because I don't really recall that scene, but, uh, that's a, that was a great show. I should rewatch it. I'm going to send you a YouTube link. That could be like a great intro for your class. Wasn't there a lot of cursing in that show, though? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I probably don't want to show that to kids, though. How old are the kids? Well, it depends, because uh, I have e- everything from elementary through high school. 
But I mean, all right, you can show the high school kids, but maybe not the elementary school. kids. Yeah, probably not the elementary school kids. So you have released a solo record. We know this now. Yes. Yes. Have you heard about this? Have you read about this? I have heard about it and I have read about it. The news has broken everybody. And Fadim, I have to say, great record. Great. I could so I can just tell how much care went into this thing. The production is great. By the way, everybody recorded with Greg Thomas and Chris Teddy over at Silver Bullet Studios, correct? Correct. Yes. So the production is top notch. And it's just there's just so much there in terms of the music, there, you know, just the different types of songs and the different types of styles and all the instrumentation. I hear xylophone, I hear guitars. There's a lot there. Yeah. I mean, uh, the the idea was always to do a studio album, um, which because I don't have a band, I'm not in a band. And so I didn't really want to put limitations on anything. You know, it was pretty much just let's let's just work on music and and uh, not really think about how am I going to play this live. It was just like, let's let's do it as a studio album, which um, I really enjoyed. I really, really enjoyed doing that. Uh, I got to kind of use my knowledge of um, when I was playing with uh, concert bands and orchestras when I was younger, and also my knowledge of like uh, uh, choral arrangements when, when I sang in the Philadelphia Boys Choir when I was younger. So in certain cases, you know, there's a lot of my voices doing lots of harmonies and things like that. And and yeah, I got to kind of um, play a lot of different instruments as well, just to kind of, you know, kind of show the world that I, I'm not just like a guitar player. And specifically, I'm not just a guitar player that plays heavy music, you know, because most of the things that I've done prior that I guess I would be known for would be kind of like heavier music. And um you know, I, I, that's not a really a true representation of who I am, uh, especially now because, uh, you know, I listen to so much of all kinds of different styles of music. And I think that the record is a really good reflection of that. It is. And, you know, because I know you per so well personally, I don't even think of you in terms of like the heavy band so much anymore, even though that's part of your history, obviously. But like, I know everything you listen to now. I've hung out with you and watched you play guitar and sing and I've heard this album now, so I know like what you're up to. Yeah. Thanks, Keith. <laughs> of course. I'm keeping my eye on you, Vadim. <laughs> Appreciate it. When did you start writing this record? So during the the pandemic, the the first lockdown is when I really kind of decided I wanted to get better at recording, at home recording, which I've just kind of dabbled with in the past. But since everybody had more time to, to do everything, um, at, at that time, I just, that was one of the things I really wanted to kind of do. And it started with just doing collaborations with people. I, I put out a kind of like a statement on social media, you know, if anybody wants to collaborate, um, just get in touch with me. And so I, I ended up doing like a whole bunch of collaborations with people, all different styles. And that was a lot of fun. That was a really good learning experience for me in, in terms of getting familiarized with the home recording process. And then also like, you know, how to do it and, and what I'm capable of doing and also trying to play multiple instruments and then, you know, just also playing with other people as well. And yeah, that kind of just, um, it kind of just blossomed into, I guess, like at some point I was like, why don't I just put together my own record, you know, not collaborate, not collaborative, but just things that I've sort of had over the years. And some of the songs on there were 
old songs, you know, songs, songs that have been kind of like sitting around for a decade, um, just unfinished or in various stages of completion. And it, I guess this was a good opportunity to, uh, to finish it up, especially when all the time was available. And then, um, yeah, I guess, you know, in 2020, it was a little bit of a rough year for me. I had gone through a, um, a breakup during the pandemic of someone I was with for six years. And then, um, and then my grandfather passed away, like all within like, that was like within two or three weeks of each other. And so the record honestly was just a really great, um, escape for me, you know, a, 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 like, um, like a distraction, I guess is a way to, to put it, you know? So most nights that's what I would do is, is I would just be in my room and just focus on recording and just i did that for months and months and months so when you say that you can tell a lot of work was put into it i really appreciate that because i think it's the most work i've ever put into anything i've ever done in my entire life and i hope that that shows it most certainly does i was really happy to see too you posted at some point on social media you know you had always dreamed about doing a solo record that, you know, you pretty much put together and now you've done it and it's out there and I'm, I'm just happy for you, you know, because uh, I, I've said this before on the show, I, I just always hope that everyone has their day, whatever that is, whatever it looks like, you know, whatever thing is kicking around in someone's head, I get they, I hope they get to do it in some sense. And I could also relate because my whole life I wanted to do a record that I mostly put together. And I got to accomplish that in a way with the basement year. It was a band. There was four of us, but like I got most of my vision and what I wanted to say out there. So I was happy and I'm happy that uh, you got to do this. Yeah. Thanks, Keith. I appreciate it. And I got a lot of good support too. You know, a lot of, a lot of friends of mine uh, ended up like pre-ordering the record and helping me when I ran an Indiegogo campaign to try to raise funds. And so I ended up doing like, I pressed uh, my own vinyl so that was the first time I had ever done that, you know, going through that entire process, putting together the artwork. And then um, for the CDs, I which are sold out now, unfortunately, but I, I had CDs pressed, just the actual compact disc. But then the packaging, I made all of the packaging by hand and each one was unique. And, um, and then I made a photo book as well for uh, some of the people who had pre-ordered. So yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of a long um, a long process of, of the, uh, you know, the rollout, I suppose there was a lot that went into it. I made, I made like teasers that I put up on YouTube and yeah, it was, it was all DIY, everything. Any cassettes? No cassettes, Keith. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Vadim. Oh, wait, hold on a second. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not, you know, I, I understand the whole, um, like people being into retro things and nostalgic yes. things, but I'm just not really a fan of cassettes, particularly because of how terrible the audio quality is. You know, I, I prefer because of the amount of time that I spent on the record. I mean, I put great care into trying to make it sound good. And the last thing I want to do is put it out on a format that degrades it, you know, by an order of magnitude, which is, honestly how i feel about cassettes so it just wouldn't really make sense for me to do it but if anyone wants to dub it what you need to do is find an old cassette and put a piece of tape over that bottom thing there's a little hack for uh the young people that don't know that you can do that there you go i'm sure they're figuring that out because young people are listening to cassettes again somehow but listen the media always circles back around 
So, Vadim, I need to ask you, when did you start recording the album? I think, I believe it was towards the end of 2020, and it ended up going for about a year. And then um, as it was being mixed by Greg and Chris, who you mentioned, um, it took it took quite a while for them to mix it. You know, they're busy and have other things going on and were helping me out. So it actually ended up working out where because they were taking kind of a, a while, I ended up re-recording some of the things or, or updating some of the things. So it was almost like an extra cushion of time for some more editing. So all in all, I would say probably about a year and a half I put into recording. How did you record it? Were you at the studio at all ever? Or would you just send them stuff to mix? How did it work? Uh, no, everything everything was done in my house. It's It's all home recorded except for the drums, which I programmed um, just using MIDI and and uh using some plugins and then i had a um a guy a guy named chris um record it uh like on a real kit he basically he basically played what i what i wanted on my song but just did it on on live drums because i thought that the electronic drums would sound a little too fake so on the record there's basically a mix of of live kit and and uh electronic drums but yeah, everything else was done just here at home. And then I had just sent off the files uh, to Greg and Chris, who are in Connecticut, and then they mixed it remotely. Do you have to pay this guy, Chris, to play drums, or do you know him? Uh, I did pay him, yeah. I, I, I always, you know, I want to make sure that I compensate everybody um, for their efforts. And, you know, if I if I had more money, I would I would have given him more money. Um, but I, I gave, I think I gave him a pretty decent amount, um, you know, especially c- considering like it's all out of pocket. Um, but he did a great job. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. I'm just thinking I, if I needed to get someone to play drums on an album, I would have to pay them because it's it's hard to find good musicians who will just do stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm sure that there, there would have been people that would offer their services for free or for less, but I just, I, I understand that it's difficult to be a musician and especially if that's kind of like your main source of income. So I want to compensate people. And I just, I just played a, um, I just played my first solo show and I had a band, uh, that backed me up and I paid everybody in the band as well, you know, just, just because like I wanted, I wanted to show appreciation for the amount of time that they put into learning the songs and for performing and, you know, they, they didn't necessarily ask for money, but I just thought that it would be like a nice thing to do. I, f- I feel like I want to, I want to show that I appreciate that they helped me. That's the way to do it. How did the house show go? Did you guys get together and practice beforehand? Like, how did that work? Yeah. So, okay. So it's a really interesting story. So originally I was planning on doing a house show in my house. That's kind of, I, I just always feel comfortable here. And I thought that it would be fitting to just do it where it was recorded. But then I realized that my space is just too small. So I kind of started brainstorming and Jordan from Revelation, um, where I used to work, actually offered to let me do it there. But it didn't it didn't really feel like it would be the right venue um, for the type of music that I'm playing. So 
I actually ended up um, contacting the family of one of my old students, uh, this guy, Max, who I used to tutor in calculus and physics. And his, his family is really cool. And they've got a really nice house in Newport Beach. So I just contacted his dad and was like, hey, I have this idea. Like, would you be open to maybe uh, letting me do this show in your living room? You know, I think it would be a really great space. And he thought about it and he said, yeah, he agreed to it. So, yeah, we got together. Um, I, I had to, you know, find guys that I thought uh, would be good for playing. And I had a keyboard player, piano player, uh, who also did backup vocals, Chris, who actually played piano on one of the songs on my album. So it was cool to have him because he's on the actual record. Um, I got had a guy named Corey play drums. My friend Kalani, uh, he played bass guitar. And Kalani also uh, uh, played a little bit on the album. He has a song named after him. There's a song called Kalani on the record named after him. And then my brother flew out from Pennsylvania and he ended up playing a couple songs with us as well. One of them being a song he, him and I collaborated on on those collaborations that I was talking about. So it was really cool to have, you know, like three guys who actually did a little bit on the record to actually be on the, on the live show. And w- we didn't get to practice as a full band until the day of the show. So yeah, it was, it was a little bit nerve wracking. I had like various, um, uh, different ar- arrangements of people who were available when we got together to practice. <laughs> In fact, I had every every possible configuration of three people before my brother flew in where we practiced together, but never as as four people until the day of the show. So I think it went pretty okay. And then um, Bill Sullivan, who you've also had as a guest before, was very, very kind to come and help out with recording it. We mic'd everything up and everything was recorded. And I also had a film crew film it. So I'm hoping to be able to mix down the audio with my brother's help and then uh, have it edited and, and release some of the live footage with, with like good audio, you know, not just like camera audio footage. Oh, great. That's awesome. Yeah. Shout out Bill Sullivan and Richard Tabor. Richie helps us out with editing sometimes on the show. Great people. Great, great gang of people. Yeah, I got I got really nice people that helped me out. I, I really appreciate everybody. Well, listen, everybody check out the record. You won't be disappointed. Where can they find it, Vadim? Where can they find... Tell the people where to listen to it. Well, the you can listen to it on any of the streaming platforms if you just search my name, uh, Vadim Taver. But um, the best place probably would be Bandcamp because you can also purchase the vinyl from there that's that there's a link to where you can purchase the vinyl directly um so the my band camp is just my name it's a v a d i m t a v e r uh .bandcamp.com i believe um or just search my name on bandcamp and yeah i still have some vinyl available the cd's are sold out and the photo books are sold out but you know i think i think i'll probably end up going through that vinyl pressing and and who knows if i'll ever repress it again but it's uh yeah it's really nice to like have a piece of vinyl with your music on it i was very happy about that oh yeah yeah that's got to be great all right so vadim we're going to read some listener email now are you ready for this let's do it all right all right i've gotten some nice uh emails and messages from people lately. So I would like to take a moment to highlight our wonderful listeners. All right, here we go. All right, here's an email from Travis Lowe. He says, hi, Keith. My name is Travis Lowe from Salt Lake City, Utah. I just wanted to thank you for the pod. I recently discovered it. My cousin told me about it. And we have been going through your interviews with many of our favorite musicians and bands 
and hearing their stories as well as your earnest and candid conversations about life and recovery. It has just been such a beautiful thing revisiting our shared past and hearing so much about many of the bands and memories that we love. I love your interviews, your conversational style, and your kindness, openness. Thanks. Wow. Travis, shout out to you. Thank you. I love, uh, that's my favorite thing when like, you know, someone will write and just say how much they appreciate the show and that they're going back and listening through the whole thing. That's happened more than once now, Vadim. And you know what? It makes me feel good. Yeah. And it's cool, too, that people are kind of aware of uh, your personality after they hear you a bunch and just sort of know a little bit about your history and your and your past and things. And, yeah, it's really positive, um, you know, to hear uh, for myself as well, you know, how how you're navigating through life, like post, um, you know, some of the darker times that you've had in your life. Still trying to figure it out. But you know what? We're getting there. You're doing a great job, Keith. I'm trying, Vadim. I'm trying. All right. <laughs> Here's another one from Eric Olafson. Hey, Keith. First off, I want to say that I love the podcast. You have really great guests and really great conversations. I also really appreciate that you openly talk about personal struggles. It really adds an element of humanity and authenticity to the conversations. Wow. See, there's another one. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this message from Eric, and I actually really appreciated that because I... I feel awkward talking about personal stuff a lot. And then I'm like, oh, no one cares. No one wants to hear it. But I think it's important to be open about these things and talk about it in this forum because, and I've mentioned it before on the show, but when I was all messed up by myself, completely isolated, you know, I listened to Howard Stern and those were my friends. Or I listened to podcasts and those were my friends. And I, you know, I would hear these stories and, I would hear these conversations and it really helped me through all the dark times. So if I can do that in any way for other people, uh, it's my way of giving back. And I, you know, just to hear that the show is helping anybody in any way, or even if they're just enjoying it, it's a great thing. Yeah. It's, it's really nice. Um, when, when you can relate to somebody and you can hear that it's, it's not just you, that other people have gone through a similar experience and then it'll help you navigate your way through it, you know, knowing how other people have. So I think that's really important that you, that you do that and that, that people pick up on it. And if they're experiencing that them, themselves, then, um, you know, it, you might be like a, a beacon of hope. Let's put it that way. <laughs> exactly. Like early, when I was younger and earlier in my addiction, like that was when Artie Lang was on the Howard Stern show and he was super open about his addiction and all of everything he went through, the good and the bad was all over the show. And I really related to him like through my entire twenties when I was dealing with stuff and when he was on the show. So I wasn't even close to being able to clean up my life and Artie wasn't either obviously at that time, but you know, just hearing that he was going through stuff too really helped me. So that, yeah, just like hearing similar experience helps. That's still what helps me even now. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this next one, I'm going to keep the person anonymous, but they said, I'm 42 days sober. This is the longest I've been sober since 14 or 15 years old, and I'm 34 years old now. So my friend, you know who you are. I know who you are. Shout out to you. Keep it up, man keep it up. I'm proud of you. So look at that, Vadim. Yeah. We're we're helping people. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm going to check in too. Vadim, I'm not doing so good. What? <laughs> 
Look, I'm going to be honest. I'm not having a great time right now. I always struggle around this time of year. Uh, this is I, I got clean in May. I don't. I keep the year murky for certain personal reasons, but it's been more than a few years now. May 14th is the day that I got clean. So I always feel weird around this time. I'm like super depressed and I feel like something's wrong, even though nothing's wrong. There's just a lot of stuff, but I've traced it back many years and it seems like there's always something going on. There's, it seems like there's always something going on around this time. So I just accept it. And I know once I hit my anniversary date, things will be better moving forward. Um, I think, I don't know if this sounds hokey or whatever, but I think there's some kind of like memory in the body. Like, you know, my body knows X number of years ago that I was in the worst shape I was ever in. And I was on a bunch of stuff that I was trying to get off. And, you know, so it's almost like my consciousness remembering that. And I have to like go through it again in a sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense just because of the date. So you're, it's just probably like, uh, in your mind more, you know, it's yeah. like, it's like fresh in your mind, but there's just so, so much though, that's going on in your life. That's positive, And you got to kind of keep that into perspective, or keep that in perspective. Um, you know, you've got, you've got a podcast that you work on weekly that people listen to, you know, you're getting to talk to a lot of musicians that you looked up to that some, some of which may now be friends of yours. And you're in a band now that is playing shows. I mean, you're playing shows with uh, somebody that you you just interviewed, and and so, or uh, somebody that you had interviewed uh, recently. And uh, you'll be playing to people. You know, this is kind of like some of the things that you've always talked about that you wanted. You know, that you you weren't able to achieve previously with your own bands. And so, yeah, there. I mean, there's there's a lot of, and you also have a, a steady job um, that pays decently you're able to afford your own place in new york which many people can't say you know so if you if you ever get into these times where uh you're you're not feeling so great about your life you know just kind of put it into perspective that it could be a lot worse you know you could be a, a lot worse off but you're um able to have these things or these things or you're not able to have these things but you've worked to achieve a lot of these things and a lot of it you've been able to achieve because you've been sober, you know, you wouldn't have been able to kind of do some of these things had you stayed on drugs and possibly not been alive. Exactly. I would probably most definitely be dead or at least in very bad shape because at the end I used by myself with nobody else. So I'm actually surprised nothing worse happened, but Hey, lucky me, but no, Vadim, those are all the things I tell myself when I get into this, these kind of funks, you know, but, but that's part of my struggles. Like everything can be great, but I'll still feel like really bad and like something is wrong, but I know it's going to pass. I know it's not real. Like uh, the feelings are real, but I know that they're only temporary, you know? Yeah. Hang in there, Keith. I'm going to be fine. And I, I, have, I, I have an announcement to make, Vadim. I, I have gone back to therapy. Oh, that's good. Yeah. What do you I, think I, of that? I highly support it. I mean, therapy was incredibly helpful for me uh, in those years that I was just talking about when I had gone through my breakup and definitely is a very good thing. Uh, I, I have nothing but positive things to say uh, about therapy. Even if you have a therapist that doesn't really match with you, uh, which does happen or can happen, 
um, at least they can get you uh, thinking about things that you maybe wouldn't have thought of yourself, um, which which is kind of their job. You know, their job is to ask questions or to sort of lead you to uh, um, conclusions or, uh, ju- you know, just, just sort of make you think about things that you normally wouldn't. And uh, sometimes your friends, you know, wouldn't really like ask those types of questions or anything. So I think that uh, it's a very positive thing. I, th- I mean, it, it can't be a negative thing, right? It could only be a positive thing. Yeah, like, uh, and I've talked about this on the show. I do 12-step. That's how I keep myself off drugs and alcohol, and that's good for that. But there's other stuff I want to dig into more that I don't feel would be appropriate for those 12-step venues. And that's where the psychiatrist comes in. And I went back for the first time today in like, I don't know, I haven't been there since 2018 or something. And she you know, I explained everything that's going on. And she, she's like, Hey, remember this really traumatic thing that happened when you were young? And I was like, Oh, right. That <laughs> like, so it's, it's weird the way the mind works. Like I didn't even really think about that and how that could affect things. And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. So that's why people do this. Great. I understand now. Yeah, exactly. They're basically just like professional question askers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Like just like me. <laughs> just like you yeah uh but no there's a lot to look forward to and uh warmer weather is here it's gonna be good it's gonna be good i just know i just need to make it to may 14th and then i'll be fine yeah just keep in mind make a make a countdown of uh dates until you leave to go play those shows right because that's gonna be that's Ooh. something you're really looking forward to and that's like a better countdown than the countdown to may 14th how about i look forward to both Okay, there you go. Look forward to both. <laughs> I have to I have to be happy about my clean date. That's that's very important. But these shows I'm excited, but I'm scared too because I haven't played in a while. But Vadim, whenever I get scared, I just play the entire set and then I'm like I'm ready. Yeah. There you go. I'm ready. Are you going to are you going to celebrate by getting something for yourself? Like are you going to buy yourself like a gift or something? No. I did I, my birthday around my birthday, I went crazy. I I bought uh, PlayStation Five, that was a lot of money. Uh, there was this really nice necklace that I wanted to get. That was really expensive. I bought that, and then I bought all these new clothes that were way too expensive because I got a new promo photo taken. That's the one you see on the uh, the YouTube videos. I spent way too much money, so I'm done spending money for a little bit. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah. a good reason. I was going to suggest an air fryer because I love my air fryer that I made that purchase within the last year and it's seriously a game changer. It's awesome. I'm going to tell you something. I accidentally bought one two years ago and it sat in a box. It sat in the box in my living room for an entire year until I regifted it. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't even use it? No. Oh my God. Well, okay. I'm going to be honest. Mine also sat in a box for probably, I would say maybe like four months. So it did take me a while to take it out. But once I took it out, I loved it. I don't know. I think, I think you made a mistake. I think you should uh, ask for that back. Uh, no, it's gone. <laughs> I gave it to my parents. They love it. I'm just kidding. And I, yeah. I don't cook. I cooked once last year. I spend like $300 a week on takeout. Well, that's my point exactly, is that you don't have to cook. Like, you just put stuff in there, and you don't need to add any additional oil, and you walk away, 
And then like 15 minutes later, your food is all nice and crispy and cooked and you didn't do anything. It's amazing. Yeah, even even that is too much effort. Putting it inside the thing <laughs> and closing it? Yeah, that's it? I don't have time. I don't have it's time It's as much that. effort as a microwave. Yeah. I All right. I I know I should, but I I I'm just not ready yet. <laughs> okay. You'll thank me when you get one. I'm going to get there. All right. Well, listen. We're out of time, but uh Vadim, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always great to have you on here and talk to you and catch up with you. And once again, congrats on the record. You should be proud. Awesome stuff. Cool. Thanks, Keith. I really appreciate you having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you too. Yes, we're going to do it again soon. And listen, everybody, check back in next week. I'm back with a new episode and a new guest. And we are going to end the show with Residue by Vadim Taver. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time.